Wonderful to be here again this morning. Uh, my name is Pastor Aaron. Um, i here from Link Bay Area. Uh, many of you have been here before. Uh, we look at how do we come beside local leaders, raise them up for gospel ministry, whether it be in church, nonprofit business here in the Bay Area. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you guys this morning. We've been in a series we started last week in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, Old Testament prophet, right? A minor prophet doesn't mean he's not important. just means that his book is shorter. Uh, so this is the second week of that in chapter 2. Next week, uh, President Mike Lang will be here. He'll finish that uh, series up on chapter 3. So that's kind of the, what we've been walking through and taking a look at that. Uh, and just reviewing, Habakkuk was uh, a prophet. He was prophesying to uh, Judah. Remember, that's the southern kingdom of God's people in the Old Testament. And what's going on in Judah at this time? What's going on in Judah at this time is that there's rapid moral and spiritual decline among God's people. Uh, and normally, remember, a prophet would, would speak truth to the people about that reality. But Habakkuk was different. Habakkuk, instead of going to speak truth to God's people, where does Habakkuk go to speak truth? To God himself, <laughs> right? Uh, Habakkuk goes and says, hey, Lord, what's the deal? What's going on? Uh, and the big learning last week was that in the face of questions, it is good to express your questions with God. Uh, it is good to express your questions of what is going on to God. Uh, that, that shows spiritual maturity to do that. That sometimes we think it is bad to question God and to say, why are you doing what you are doing? This doesn't seem very fair. But we must be willing, even as we go and approach God and question God, be willing to submit to whatever his answers are for us. Humble enough to let God be God, whether we agree with that or not. So this week, we're going to spend a little bit more time uh, on ultimately submitting to God's sometimes confusing answers that he has for us. Uh, submitting to God's will once we've offered our complaints to him, uh, especially when his answers are different from what we would want. Right? Uh, it's easy to submit to his answers when we're like, Good, I like that one. <laughs> uh, but when we go to God with our complaints, with our questions, and the answer that we get back is not satisfactory to us, what does that mean for us to rightfully, faithfully, biblically submit to God when he does things we can't understand? Okay, let me repeat that, because that's really the focus for today. How do we rightfully, faithfully, and biblically submit to God when he does things that we can't understand. Now, I'm going to give you the answer right away. <laughs> right? right up front, we're going to jump to the end. Here's how we do this. We repent. We repent. When God pre presents us with something that confuses us, when his answers to our questions of why, right, is not necessarily something we agree with, the right and faithful response is simply to do this. We repent. And, and let me clarify a little bit around that. I mean repentance in, in the broadest sense of that, that term. Uh, in the sense of recognizing our own shortcomings as people, our own limitations as fallen human beings. Uh, of refusing to trust in ourselves and instead... Right? Grasping on and trusting in the ultimate goodness of God and his promises. 
So repentance in the sense of I'm going to turn away from myself and my own understanding, and I'm going to turn to the Lord even though it doesn't make sense. Now we see that Habakkuk eventually gets here. If we were to jump ahead to chapter 3, uh, to chapter 3, verse 1, at the end of Habakkuk's wrestling with the confusing God who is allowing all these crazy things to go on, eventually Habakkuk says this, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So in essence, uh, here's what Habakkuk is doing. He's offered his complaint to God. Hey, why are you allowing all this bad stuff to happen, right? Uh, that the Lord is going to send the enemy, the Babylonians, uh, the big bad guys, they were going to send the enemy. God was going to do that to discipline his own people. And Habakkuk is like, how is this happening? This shouldn't be going on. He makes his complaint to God. And then God has given his answer that Habakkuk didn't want to hear. You know what? I'm letting the bad guys win for a while what God is saying, uh, as a way to discipline my people who have rejected me. That was God's response. Uh, that's not what Habakkuk wanted to hear. But in the face of that confusing and unsatisfying answer, this is what Habakkuk does. He admits his own limitations. Uh, he falls on his knees and he says, Oh Lord, you are God and I am not. Get me through this by your grace. Get me through this by your grace. And that's ultimately an act of repentance. Lord, I don't like your answer. I don't understand your answer. But I trust that you are good. I trust that you are powerful. You are God, and I am not. Get me through this thing uh, that I don't like and that I don't understand. Get me through it by your grace. Lord, I'd rather have your mercy in my life than my way in this world. I'd rather have your mercy in my life than my way in this world. Now, if that seems to you to be an unsatisfying answer in the face of your frustrations, let's consider the alternatives to repentance. Let's consider other ways that we go about trying to figure this out. When faced with uh, a God who doesn't tell us what we want to hear or exactly what we want done, um, rather than repent, right, and bow to God's glory, he's God, we're not, uh, many of us will rationalize God uh, and make sense of God, try to make sense of God. So rather than repent, we rationalize, right? We try to figure things out in our head and give meaning to that. Uh, here's what we mean. There are many things about God that are easy to understand, right, uh, that he's revealed to us uh, in the world that is revealed to us in the scriptures, right? Uh, for example, we know that God created the world. We know that he loves us. Uh, we know that there's this problem called sin in the world, uh, that he sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf, to rescue us, to lead us. Those things he's made clear to us in creation, in the word, right? He's made them known to us in the scriptures. He's written those things on our hearts. Uh, but there are other things that God insists on remaining a mystery to us. Some of those things are big questions. Some of those things are small questions. Uh, big questions like, why would a good God allow evil? Uh, how would he allow evil to enter into the world in the first place, right? My sons ask me that sometimes. So 
why did he even put the tree there in the garden in the first place, right? Uh, those are the questions people have, right? That's a big question. And ultimately, God says, you're going to have to trust me on this one. Uh, because any, uh, any ultimate explanation that we have for that question falls short. We can't give an answer to that. That's a big question. There are also small, insignificant questions that we wrestle with in our lives, right? For me, for example, how come my dad, who's 83 years old, can still use hairspray? And me, I'm using like Windex or something, right? I mean, what is the deal? Now, you look at that and you go, okay, that's a small, insignificant question. But you may have questions like that too, big or small. And, and, and that we don't have an answer to that. God has revealed a lot to us, but certain things he keeps from us. And God is not required to explain himself to you or to me. And that's hard to live with at times. And you can hear Habakkuk wrestling with this, right? And unlike this, we don't like this. And if we were to, to jump to the end of chapter 1, Habakkuk is wondering why God would use the evil Babylonians, right? The big bad Babylonians to teach a lesson to his own people. It doesn't make sense to Habakkuk. Uh, and it, it is at this point that Habakkuk could easily try to rationalize the situation, to try to make sense out of it. Uh, in the absence of explanations from God, sometimes we make up our own and we try to figure it out to try to understand the things that we can't understand. And our rationalizations about God and try to understand them, they may make us feel better at times, but it doesn't make them true. And in fact, they can distort our understanding of who God is and how he really loves us and how he's really working in our lives. Right? In our worst-case scenario, those rationalizations about God can actually push us further away from God. Right? Example. We see that our life is a struggle, and we begin to rationalize why we're having these difficulties. Right? Maybe we're thinking, Lord, maybe it's because I'm not good enough, or I'm not praying enough, or I'm not serving enough, or smiling enough, or, or being hospitable enough, or, or fill in the blank of whatever your enough is. And if I did more of those things, then God would bless me a bit more, and that's why I'm having the problems that I'm having, uh, that if, if I were just a little bit better of a person, then I wouldn't have these issues. But see, if that's really how God works, that makes him a taskmaster with a whip. Right, who blesses us based on our performance. Is that how God has revealed himself in Jesus? It's not. It's not. And then maybe tougher ones come up, right? Uh, maybe the reason my nephew died is that God needed an angel. And God could not help not having my nephew by his side. Uh, and if that were true, that makes God more needy than any of us. Uh, and you are understandably crushed by your loss down here. And, and if God is more needy than you, then he is not worthy of your worship. What makes God worthy of worship is that he needs nothing. So when we seek to rationalize the mystery of God, we end up with unhelpful and unfaithful view of God that doesn't help us solve his mystery. 
right? But only confuses things more. That's the issue with rationalizing in the midst of all these questions. But there's another thing that sometimes we do when God gives us difficult answers. Rather than repent, it may not be that we rationalize, that try to rationalize those things away, uh, but rather than repent, we will also simply rebel against the answers that he has for us. When faced with a God who doesn't tell us what we want to hear or what we want, uh, right, uh, we will rationalize, we'll try to make sense of it, uh, but oftentimes we'll just rebel against that. I don't like it. I'm going to push away from it. And this is what God's people were doing, right? They struggled with civil war with other nations who were bigger than they were, more important than they were. Uh, And as those other nations are starting to press in on them, uh, on Israel and Judah, rather than trusting in God, clinging to his promises, they rebelled against him uh, and they gave up on the things of God and they looked elsewhere. They began worshiping the idols of their enemies, Right? Hey, if God's not going to give the answers that we want, we'll go somewhere else and go look for a God who will give us the answers that we want. Okay? Replacing any trust that they had in God with attitudes being sold by the broken, unbelieving people around them. This is a temptation for all of us, right, in our world today as well. Why not? Right? God's confusing to them, uh, and giving in to the enemy is always easier. Uh, you and I wrestle with this constantly, right? Uh, here's how this play this out. How this plays out: something happens in your life, and you're confronted with the reality uh, that you are not rich, right? And yet, your mysterious good God says, "Be content with the breath that you have in your lungs." <laughs> that that each and every day you wake up to the sunshine. Uh, this can't be beat, and that's what our God tells us. Yet we live in a world where people hunger for success and stuff. Right? We hunger for success and stuff. They worship success and stuff. And they will cut corners to get success and stuff. And guess what? Many people that do that, they end up getting a lot of success and stuff. And something in us says, you know, maybe, maybe they're onto something. Maybe I should just love that a little bit more because I, I want a little bit more, but my God tells me to be content but that's confusing because he also wants to bless me, right? And, and may, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Or we're confronted with the fact that we are warped and wounded human beings. Yet our mysterious God tells us that there is a plan for how we are to use our bodies, uh, how we are to live our lives. Uh, meanwhile, other people in the world tell us that it's much easier to go with the flow. And let just people live as they please, right? Uh, Today, the biggest idol is you need to be true to yourself, right? This is the the, the reality that we hear in culture that is always bombarding us. Uh, And if that's other people to go with the flow, okay, let let them do what they want. At those who don't go with the flow, encourage others not to do so. We, we shouldn't be stepping in on that, uh, that these people are not humbly following God, but they're actually filled with hate, right? If someone actually says, hey, maybe this isn't the right thing, that isn't just an opinion, but now you're, you're encroaching with hate on somebody else. And see, people who don't let others do what they want to do, the culture says, man, you hate those people. And we say to ourselves, 
well, I don't want to be filled with hate. <laughs> right? I, I don't want to be one of those people. Maybe they're onto something. Maybe we should just let everybody kind of do what they want, including myself. And see, here's the truth, right? We're talking about rebellion against God's answers for us. Spiritual rebellion never feels like a rebellion. It never feels like an intense battle against our good God. Spiritual rebellion doesn't feel like a fight against the true God. It feels like a sleepy drift into a more comfortable God for us. One that's more in line with our own thinking and feelings. And see, God's promise to Habakkuk and all who rebel against him, be it the Babylonians or be it his own people Israel, is that those who rebel against God will eventually be filled with regret. Habakkuk 2 says this. This is towards the end of the reading that John had for us. This is God speaking. He says, what prophet is an idol when its maker is the one who has shaped it? Right? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this thing teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver. There's no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The point is this. In the face of a God who sometimes gives us confusing and unsatisfactory answers, uh, we can rebel, we can run to idols that tell us what we want, but ultimately they're going to fall short. We're going to be crushed by them. They're not going to be able to come through. When you sell out to the things of the world, those things are ultimately going to let you down. An idol will ultimately break your heart, always. That's what they always do. We can rebel, we can run to idols that tell us what that we want to hear, uh, that, but they can do nothing to get us right with God and the struggles that we're going through. And God's truth is that he promises to cast away those who are not connected to him to his family, and who have placed their hope in something else besides him. So where does that leave us? Right? Where does that leave us? If our rationalizations right, can push us away from God, and, and our rebellion against God just sets us out from under God's grace right, and protection of God, what's left for us? Well, what we saw a second ago at the end of Habakkuk 2 about the idols, in contrast to our idolatry, God says this of himself. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. In contrast to coming up with your own explanations, in contrast to just doing what is easier, we put our focus back on God. When confronted with the, does it, does what he wants, hard to understand, trust, fear-inducing, awe-inspiring, mystery of God, like, I don't get this. We can rationalize it to make sense. We can rebel against it to make it easier. Or we can repent and simply let God be God. How many people here have been to the entrance of Yosemite Valley? Right. Yosemite Valley, been to the entrance of Yosemite Valley lots of people here, right? Maybe you've been there so many times, but maybe you remember the first time you ever went there, right? And it just went, oh my gosh, <laughs> just overcome by that. Or maybe you've walked in, in the grove of, the, of redwoods, if you've gone up north on the north coast, and, and just been like, man, just inspired by that overcome. 
Now, what are those places where you've just been overcome by the bigness of this world and the one who made it and the smallness of yourself? Uh, a, few, a few years ago, our family was on vacation. My parents live on the Oregon coast, right on the, on the bay and the ocean there. And my wife and I uh, got out of bed after everyone was asleep. We said, hey, we're going to get up. And we went out. Uh, it was past midnight and walked down right down the driveway to the bay. And, you know, there's no lights there like here. Uh, you get the light pollution just to look up at the stars. You know, it's when you see the layers of it where you see, like, the first layer of stars. But then if you sit there and squint long enough, you see, like, that, the Milky Way layer and just see, oh, my gosh, there's just more than you can even imagine that are there. Uh, and you're looking at that and you're like, man, I am tiny, <laughs> right? I, I am nothing in the midst of this. That you're overtaken by the bigness of this, of this universe and the one who created it and the smallness of yourself. And it's at that moment that you realize that there's a gap between you and God. There's a gap that's there. He's just so big and we're not. And when God presents himself in all his mystery and all his confusion, it's a similar type of moment. When God answers your question of why with something that's unsatisfactory or confusing to you, you realize that he is big and you are small and there's a gap between he and you. And you can try to convince yourself that you can bridge that gap or that that gap doesn't exist. Or, or, or you can recognize your smallness and you can trust that God himself is going to bridge that gap for you out of his greatness and of course, that's what we believe in Jesus Christ, right? We believe that God will bridge the gap between his greatness and our smallness, between his holiness and our brokenness, between his mystery and our poverty. Uh, the gap between those two things, that's been bridged by one thing, by Jesus. The physical gap has been bridged by Jesus' incarnation, right? He was born in the flesh. He has walked in your shoes. He's worn your skin. He's felt your temptation. All those things that you're going through, those ups and downs, that physical gap has been bridged by Jesus. The holiness gap between God uh, and you has been bridged, bridged, excuse me, bridged by Christ, right? You are a mess and I'm a mess. <laughs> He's not. Jesus Christ came into this world. He took the punishment for this, your sins and my sins, the sins that, uh, and the punishment that we deserve, right? He took the cross that was yours. The gap that exists between your brokenness and his holiness, Jesus has bridged that. He died to forgive it. Grace and mercy reign in that gap between God and you. He bridges the gap between chaos in this world and peace. And he promises that one day he's going to come back and all the earth will be silent before him. Everything in creation that mocks him right now will praise him on that day. And you will no longer be the fool who believes in Jesus. You will be one who stands at his side and says, I've worshipped you. I've loved you. I've been baptized into your family. I've been forgiven of my sin by you. Thank you for bringing this day about Jesus. He bridges the gap. And Habakkuk's only choice in the face of God's mystery was to trust that God would one day do something to bridge that gap. But we live, we get to live in a world where he sent his son to show us that he cares. He's crucified that son to punish all evil. He's raised that son to demonstrate his power. 
and you are baptized into his family as a guarantee of his goodness. So in the face of God's mystery and confusion, hold on. Hold on to the clarity and the insurance of his son, Jesus Christ. He bridges the gap from God's mystery to your poverty. So what kind of people will we be? What kind of person are you? Do you repent? Do you rationalize? Do you rebel? Who are you? May we be a people who simply say to God, I don't understand you, but I trust that your way is best. You are God and I am not. Have your way in this world. Get me through it by your grace in Jesus. May we be a people who live like that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.